You're listening to the Living Inside Out podcast and I'm your host, Toks Arutere. This is episode 83. Welcome to the Living Inside Out podcast where we believe in the power of storytelling. Episode 83 is Trailblazing Women, Stories of Courage and Triumph. Welcome to 83. (laughs) This is how we're going to end up at 100. Can you believe that? To think that at the start of this whole thing, I didn't even think I would go past episode 6 and here we are at 100. I've got to say thank you to you for that because there is absolutely no way I would have continued recording if I didn't hear your wonderful feedbacks and your comments and how it's helped and the times where I took unauthorized breaks <laughs> and I'd meet you in public or get an email or a message or whatever saying when is the next episode coming back all of those just served one purpose to it helped to keep me going and helped to just keep me really reading the book of life you know watching what life was serving me so that I could come back and tell you what I've learned and of course hearing your own stories as well and hearing your life experiences and your own lessons warms my heart when someone says to me they never used to journal and they now do or they are doing something differently or being blessed because of the podcast so I thank you thank you for coming back again and again and again and again to listen Well, today I'm going to be chatting with two amazing ladies and I can't wait for you to hear their stories. You know, sometimes when it comes to business, oftentimes, actually not sometimes, we want to sugarcoat and make our lives seem like we were near unicorns, you know. Oh, I started something and then this happened and that happened and bam, and here I am. Well, the the journey of entrepreneurship is very different from the ones that are celebrated that we read about and hear about all the time. And so today we're going to hear some real life stories. Let's go. I am so excited to have two wonderful, not one, but two wonderful ladies (laughs) on the Little Inside Out podcast today. I'm going to abbreviate their bios because they are go-getters and they have a lot. They've done a lot. They're doing a lot. So if I were to read their entire bios, if I were to read you guys' entire bios, we'll be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get to know you more as we chat. So Ginny. Can you hear the wind? No, I don't. Oh, good. Great. No. Okay, beautiful. I can see your hair flapping a little bit, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. so I'm, trying Gin- to be, I'm trying to be Beyonce. Oh, well, you are. <laughs> you don't need to try. <laughs> well, just a little bit of Beyonce today on your show. Okay, I'm so sorry. Go ahead. It's okay. It's okay. So Ginny <laughs> is the one that's outdoors and she is sunning it in Colorado. She's a wife, mom of two beautiful girls. Why did I say the girls? Have you got daughters? I have a daughter and a son. Amanda has two daughters though. You have two daughters. But you know, you you I don't think you said either of you said in your in your bios what gender your children were. Ah I always lean to girls because I have four boys and and I just wonder what my life would look like if I had at least one girl to go in. So I'm always daughters so (laughs) a lot of drama it's a lot of drama tokes I can imagine all right I'm gonna start that again 
Ginny is a wife, mom to two beautiful kids, co-host on the podcast Soul Rising. It's Soul or Soul? Soul, soul. yeah, Soul Rising. Okay. I figured. <laughs> and the founder and owner of the Flipping Phoenix Furniture Rehab Company. Her passion for soul searching, healing, and heart connection with other human souls is what sets her spirit on fire in this beautiful chapter of life. With adventures spanning from chasing dreams in Hollywood in her 20s, we cannot wait to hear that one, to struggling with addiction, to 18 years of a sales career in a corporate in the corporate world, and choosing to leave it, she believes that no matter the differences we may have with one another, we have far more in common, and she's determined to find that common ground with everyone that she can. Welcome, Jeannie. Thank you so much for having us. It's an honor to be here. So honored to have you on. And Amanda, Amanda is a native New Yorker turned Coloradan, blends street smarts with tree hugging for a pragmatic yet soulful approach to love and losing. She's no stranger to either, co-founder of the 501c3 nonprofit organization, Castle Rock Clubhouse, a recovery clubhouse that serves as a meeting place for various 12-step programs. Amanda is passionate about sobriety, meditation, and spirituality. Through her commitment to climate action, she holds the spirit of loving kindness, perseverance, can't read, and compassionate service in high regard. A lover of horses, drumming, running, vegan eating, and dancing, she also enjoys singing with abandon to rock music to loud rock music not just rock music and Amanda is also an author as well and we're going to get to talk a lot about her book and she also lives in Castle Rock Colorado with her family and pop dolly welcome Amanda hi thank you thank you so much for having us it's a pleasure it's actually my I've had three guests but they came as one it was a family mom and two daughters and they're on Instagram together Celia Tooks and I've had one guest with a co-host my best friend co-hosted with me but I've never actually had two guests especially two guests who also run a podcast as well so oh, cool. I'm really honored you're breaking ground here yes <laughs> yeah awesome I love it we're glad we can do that with you you're yeah. breaking ground oh yeah. thank you so much and I we were talking before the recording started about how about the weather in Colorado and I feel like I, I belong there you know, looking at Amanda in her room and I'm looking at Jeannie and, and I'm just like, it, it it feels like I belong there. What's life in Colorado like these days with mom, wife, kids, everything, writing? I'll start with Amanda. What What's going on in your life these days and what's life like? It's very busy. Very, very busy. I am uh, trying to stay grounded and Colorado is probably the best place for, I mean, it's the, for that. There's so much nature. It's just so earthy. And I just, I say, I think I might say it in my book. I feel closer to my soul here in Colorado versus New York. It's a little slower where we're, the development is booming. So the road's getting busier. There are definitely more people here, but when I go back to New York and I spent a couple of weeks there and I come back here, I'm like, oh yeah, I could definitely feel the difference. It is still uh, much calmer. The energy of the mountains, there's just something about the beauty of Colorado that is helping me to stay a little bit more grounded with my book coming out. My, my book is out, not coming out. I'm used to saying coming out. My book is out. It is out and it's it amazing. Out. It's in the world. And uh, 
So a lot of change. I'm going through a lot of change. Um, I'm trying to manage that by being flexible. Now it's the summertime. My kids are home mm. from school. So that adds another element of trying to manage my time. And um, I can tend to be a very organized uh, person. Ginny knows we always laugh. Ginny and I have a very interesting, I just, I just said before, we're kind of like the odd couple. You know, we Ginny's are totally the odd couple. Oh, and it's perfect, oh. but it's great. And it really works. And oh. it's really kind of cool that I'm being challenged right now to slow down more, to mm. just enjoy. Like I'm trying to enjoy the whole process and not be so concerned about getting it all done that I'm not present or I'm, I'm, I'm losing, you know, this, this whole experience. I don't want to lose the experience. I want to hold on to it. Love so that. love that. How old are the children? Nine and 11. I have two girls. Oh, no. Um, they're amazing. They are amazing little girls. We have a lot of music going on in our house. My daughter's a lead singer and a rhythm guitarist of a little kid oh, rock band. Oh, it's, wow. a, it's so much fun. <laughs> so awesome. And then my little one, she dances and she plays the flute. And like you said in my bio, I play the drums. My husband plays the guitar. So pretty soon here, we're going to create a little family band and yeah. start making some music. Absolutely. Oh. I can see that happening already. You guys yeah. are still thinking of names if you haven't, but that sounds, <laughs> sounds amazing. It sounds really busy, but also quite fun. And I know yes. what you mean about when you leave a fast-paced city to go live somewhere quieter. Mm. And there is just more room, isn't there, to feel yourself, to hear yourself, and to be intentional about it. Your intentions are always there, but it's real when you're in a slower-paced city. Like You can actually put it to practice. Yes. And if I'm, if I find myself getting swept away by the busyness, I could just go sit where Jeannie is in my yard and I just can reconnect. I could just get quiet. I could listen to the birds chirp. Right. And that is where I feel the most at peace and most when, when I'm one with nature. And then it just kind of slows me down, puts everything back in perspective. I realize what's important. I remember what's important. And then I can let go a little easier when I feel the safety of being, you know, belonging to something bigger than me. Excellent. That's amazing. Beautiful. And Ginny, you're, you're in Colorado as well. Do you guys live next to each other or rather close? We live very close, like 10 minutes apart. Oh, that's so nice. That's so Oh, cool. it is. So what, what is it like with you? What's How busy are you? What are you up to? <laughs> it feels same, very, so, you know, as Amanda just explained, like very busy right now, um, but in a good way. I'm experiencing just this completely new chapter of life because I've, you know, again, been, been in a, a sales job, you know, for the, that particular field for 18 years. I just resigned from my job about two and a half months ago to go in on restoring, uh, furniture. Oddly enough, when I saw what you do, I was like, I know I was so excited. Um, doing it full time. It's this, just this passion. I didn't even know that I had. And there's a big changing season, you know, for the first time ever in my children's lives, my husband's a teacher. He's a special education teacher. So the kids always have the summer off with him. And I don't, I'm still always leaving at you know, 6am to head to the city to go work. And it's the first time in their lives that I'm home, you know, I'm in the garage, like painting and, and working on furniture. So it's been, it's like, That's it's nice. been busy, but it's a good busy, you yeah. know, because yeah. I'm, Everything in me has shifted. My my 
cadence, my tone and how I'm functioning in life. I'm not under this insane amount of like yes. commuting stress every moment, you know, and, and working however many hours a day to come home and be exhausted. I'm actually, I feel like I was telling someone the other day, it feels like that feeling when you were in school as a kid and you got the summer off, like you were going to be mm -hmm. home for the summer. It's the first time I've had that as an adult and it's been fantastic. Um, it's also a little scary, right? I walked, I literally took a giant leap and it's an interesting thing to be like, all right, well, you know, this is where we need to, to get things moving and going because we still have to, you know, you're not having that consistent That's paycheck right. that you were accustomed to. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, this doesn't feel like work to me. So even if I'm out there, you know, restoring furniture for a hundred hours a week, it doesn't feel that way, Yeah, um, which I haven't been quite there yet, but um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah right. Yep, I'm like, yep. but it, it's it's an incredible feeling. It's a different side of myself. I think I'm getting to know parts of myself again, as we were talking about, because I'm slowing down. Like I literally feel like my neurological system even is slowing down. The hormones in my body, I think, are you know, like the stress hormones. I don't think I have. Mm -hmm. It's I can feel it being different. I've lost weight like randomly because I I genuinely believe it's because my stress levels that I've been accustomed to being normal, right? We call it normal. Yeah. I'm suddenly, I know it's like, no, it's normal to like work yourself to death and yeah. not have time to enjoy life. That's what we do. So there has been this sense of excitement. There's been, it is very busy, a little bit of uh, butterflies in my stomach because I'm like, all right, we got to make this thing work now, but also just adventure. Like I have this sense of like, no, I'm, I'm, we're living right now. Like we, I am living. I feel like I'm living. Yeah. yeah. And, You're not just existing any longer. That's right. Yeah. No. I don't feel like that. I feel like there's purpose in what I'm doing, you know, in the mm -hmm. day and that I'm feeling what I'm doing. I'm not just like a mm -hmm. going through that robotic, crazy autopilot that we get into of like, nope, get, wake up at five 30, get up, do this, you know, try to get a walk in. All right, let's go. Now we're in traffic. Now we're at work. Now we're never answering all the emails that come in <laughs> effectively. And it's just the same cadence, right? Of this stress level. So I feel like that I'm for the first time as an adult, you know, experiencing not having that. And it is amazing again, busy, but mm -hmm. the best kind of busy I could have ever imagined. And I'm getting to work more so, you know, on the podcast with Amanda and just there's parts of my creative self that I don't think have been allowed to be present, you know, for a while mm -hmm. yeah. as a responsible adult. So those are the main things. My kids are out for school. I have a son and a daughter. My daughter is 10 going on 11 oh. and my son is eight. So it oh, is uh, perfect ages uh, and they're close to Amanda's kids. And actually oh, they all, nice. they play that's music cool. together sometimes. My daughter. Sorry, Karen. No, I was going to say my daughter, my daughter plays piano and sings too. So she and Shelby, oh. like every now and again, will they connect and, and it's so cool and to watch. You guys are all musical, aren't you? Like, it seems like a thing because with Amanda's family and then your girls and then your little secret, which I'm not going to reveal at this point until much later on. <laughs> I'm like, there's music going on, a lot of music going on yes. here. Yes. Pick up on something you mentioned of you, you said the word purpose and often I wonder and I don't know if this is how either of you feel that we were created to live a certain way but then the way the world functions today and the way society functions has kind of knocked us off that path completely because 
you waking up and and getting satisfaction from your work to the point where it doesn't feel like work I think that's not supposed to be an unusual thing I think Mm -hmm. that's how we're designed to live isn't it but then we get into the the rat race of big city living and working nonstop and being in traffic and rushing home and and having targets at work and then rushing back to work again and doing it all again nonstop and then you compare that life to the life you're living now I always say that there are other currencies besides cash because mm. when I started my business when I started the business in the UK I started after I lost everything in the United because I was in Georgia for a while so mm. I lost everything in in there and we came at the it was during the 2008 re- recession and so came back here and I call that season of my life the perfect storm because everything that could go wrong went wrong and it was scary, but I needed to, I couldn't just sit down and wait for the storm to be over. I had to do something. So I researched the UK baby and children's goods market and decided they had absolutely nothing like what we had in the US. And then I decided to start a new company, but I had zilch. I actually started with $75. I had nothing at all. Wow. Very often, love that. <laughs> very awesome. often I have to remind myself and tell myself that uh, that there were other currencies besides cash because the one roadblock I kept hitting was funding. I kept everything I wanted to do required money. and But then, you know, when you have something so pressing, like I knew I was supposed to be doing this and I thought if mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing this, then there must be a way for me to do it. Maybe I need to take my eyes off what I think is the answer and and then look inside myself. Who knows, you know, what I'll find. So I began to, and I feel like I'm totally going off topic here because I didn't plan to talk about this. No, it's perfect though. It's perfect. That's that's totally Ginny's way. Ginny's like, let's just go in and just see where it goes. goes. (laughs) But also that, and just really quick, Amanda's heard me say a million times, I talk about our energy being currency. That's mm-hmm. why I'm like smiling and nodding yeah. because I talk wow. about energetic currency wow. all yes. the time. Wow. So please continue. Oh, yes. wow. So that's the thing. So I, I began to, I remember when I, um, one of my first obstacles was the fact that re- manufacturers and well distributors, I should say UK companies in the, did not want to supply furniture to me because they wanted me to either have a physical location or invest in a large amount of stock and I couldn't do either Mm because I didn't have the funds and I began to uh, negotiate with them and um, then I went to Europe I went to the EU it wasn't the we were in the EU at the time but I went to to the European continent and I just started looking at manufacturers there and so on and I discovered that my ability ability to negotiate was a currency which Mm. often we don't put stock on things like that and my I tried to ask wanted to have a website built and I couldn't afford the website builder really lovely guy said you know because you're my friend's friend I'm only going to charge you a thousand pounds I didn't even have a hundred pounds and so I just said to him oh don't worry I'll think about it and I'll let you know and I went home and I thought I'd had some web designers in the past and I thought every web designer I've worked with had one thing in common they were not born with the ability to build a website they had to learn and so can I and so I just went on Google and typed in how to build a website and that was back in the day when website building was rocket science now you just Mm -hmm. like Shopify or wherever buy a theme and it's done you can have a website in 15 minutes but I learned all of the different components 
and I realized learning was a currency. So because I couldn't pay for it, but I could learn how to do it. And that was a currency in itself. And so when I, I think I felt led to say that because when you, you talked about the uncertainty of leaving, you know, you've left a paying job and now you're doing entrepreneurship is, is, is risk. You know, you don't start off earning big amounts of money from the beginning. And, and a lot of times, many entrepreneurs never actually make big amounts of money, but then they get paid in other ways as well. And the freedom that you're enjoying now is the sort of freedom that people wait to retirement age to go to, mm. to experience having worked hard like crazy and busted their body up and, and they can barely walk and they're on, you know, kinds of medication. And then finally they're like, okay, now I can sit outside. I can go into my garage and I can paint furniture for a living. Well, you're doing that now. So, so that was where I was heading with that. <laughs> and it's, it's true though. You're, you're hitting the nail on the head and it's meant everything. There's something I think to be said for that. I don't know that. Well, you know, I don't know that I'll ever make great money, but the freedom, like you were saying, I've had nieces and nephews graduate in the last six weeks. It's insane. I've traveled a bunch and it's been wow. celebratory, right? It's been like nieces and nephews all graduating. We're all over the place. I had a really good friend pass away actually in, in Los Angeles. And I was able to be at his um, celebration of life and to sing for his service. I would have never been able to take that much time off. Exactly. I would have never been able to be at all of those things. There's no way that yeah. I could have done that in a six week period of time. And that in itself has made all of this worth it because I was present at these very, I mean, my niece, my oldest niece got her PhD, first PhD in any of her lineage from oh. all grandparents, like wow. all family, wow. first one. That's and I got to watch it. Million. Yes. And awesome. I wouldn't have been able to, I wouldn't have been able to, if I was still in a position where I'm like, well, I only had so many vacation days and I've already taken vacation and I wouldn't have been at all of those events. So that in itself has already that, that currency you're talking about. For yeah. me to get to experience that has been, there's no price tag. There's no dollar amount. It's been That's amazing. Good. That's good. I'm, I'm happy for you. I really am. And I know it's going to go really, it's just going to keep getting better. Definitely. <laughs> Thank you. So Amanda's an author. Amanda, you have written a book, Trust Yourself to Be All In. Okay. So so start with, I, re I love the title because already the title is an affirmation and it's an instruction and in, in many ways, it's a blessing because I don't know if it's a female thing or not, because I know some people get upset when 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 people say imposter syndrome is felt mostly by women. I don't know whether or not it's true, but I know that I do experience imposter syndrome as a woman. Mm -hmm. And I know that there are times that I gave more power to other people to make decisions for me because I don't trust myself to make it. So mm. when you say trust yourself to be all in, and there was a little blurb I read about your book as well, which ha has escaped my mind for the moment, but, but tell us why did you write the book and what is it about? So I got very inspired during COVID. I had just gone through a long stretch of healing. My brother passed away in 2018 uh, from a drug overdose and okay. it really... Thank you. Yes, it, it sent me on a crazy spiral. And um, what I wound up doing is pushing my husband away. I decided mm -hmm. I don't love you. I don't think I ever loved you. Um, and that sent us into marriage counseling. 
And it set me on this long, windy path of unraveling this uh, story of generational dysfunction, which I, I've called the great myth. Is this is this story that everybody leaves me, everybody dies. I mean, everybody does die, but I'm going to get hurt. So I need to protect my heart. I was literally taught, I was told by somebody, it's always better to love a little less. Oh, wow. Yes, man. And I discovered through uh, individual counseling, couples counseling, uh, 12-step recovery work I did around my marriage, hours and hours of meditation, being out in nature during COVID, being alone, right? Being alone, getting getting in tune, uh, listening to something higher, connecting my higher self with my higher power, all that. And I started to understand that I had been playing out this, this false narrative had been playing out in my marriage. And actually, when I looked back at all my romantic relationships, even friendship relationships or any relationship, I was always kind of keeping everybody a little bit distant to protect myself because the shoe's going to drop and then I'm going to be devastated. So through basically, so having those years of experience, those years of healing, doing all that work during COVID one day, I was just, I was running on my treadmill. And I just, just got struck with this knowing I heard you're going to write a book. And I was like, what? It's <laughs> like, where'd that come from? It's like, okay. I mean, I have an English major. I'm an English major, journalism minor. Um, I have a social work degree, a master's in social work. I was sort of asking God, higher power universe, it, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's easy for me to call God. What do you want me to do with this? My kids are getting older. What kind of career do you want me? I always worked until I got pregnant and then I was a stay-at-home mom. It's like, okay, I'm going to be ready to jump into some sort of career. I, I am seeking that fulfillment. What should I do? And all of a sudden it just came together. You're going to write a book about this experience that you just had because it is so powerful and it is so healing that you must share this. Against my own consent, it was like, you're doing this whether you want to or not. And it's going to scare the crap out of you. And it's going to be really hard and it's going to be painful at times, but this is what you're being called to do. So I just decided to answer the call and I started the process of, um, self-publishing, you know, what to back up a minute, what happened actually was, it wasn't just my healing. Now I need to show others how to heal. It was, it was a much deeper, more profound message to that. It was, I understood that healing my own personal pain and other people in the world healing their pain, we have the power to heal collective pain because I believe that what's going on inside echoes out into the world. 100%. So I believe that we individually are responsible for the chaos in the world. Because if you believe in the law of attraction, if you believe in everything, all that, all those spiritual principles, it speaks to the fact that everything's in shambles and a mess out there because we're a mess inside. So we're just manifesting whatever's going on inside, right? So through my experience and my healing, I felt maybe if I could help some other people heal, because I know other people have this same sort of false narrative, this generational dysfunctional message right. that you need to protect your heart and all that. Cause you're going to get hurt. That's where the all in kind of comes from that. If I can help other people do that, then maybe, maybe if enough of our energy shifts collectively, then maybe we can start to make a difference out in the world. And I'm also very passionate about climate uh, action. So that really underneath all of this, that was like the, the major thrust because before I decided to write a book, I thought I was going to go into policymaking and work with legis legis legislators and change laws, make change laws to um, affect climate change. And so that was like the initial thought, okay, when this is all over, when this whole COVID experience is over, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to work in Denver or I'm going to try to do something like that. And then it turned into, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can make all the laws you want. 
you could make all the legislation out there in the world, but if you're not changing people's hearts and minds as a collective, collective consciousness around this stuff, nothing's ever going to change. You could provide the reusable plastic uh, silverware. You could, you know, take away the plastic bags. You could uh, make everything solar. We could shut down all the coal mine, all the coal factories. If people are going to find a way, they're going to find a way. And the division that was going on too with COVID, that played a huge part. It played a huge part. So that division is, you know, you can have the coal factories, you could do all that kind of stuff. But if we are disconnected, our energy, again, it's going to reverberate that negative energy out into the ethers and we're going to stay suffering. We're going to stay in suffering. That's so, so it kind of all came together in this, so in this idea. Feel then that this generational dysfunction or this myth, the great myth, for you, do you feel where did it start for you? Was that do you think it started from childhood or did it start when you became an adult dating? What was it? I well, I think it. I think it's been centuries, centuries old. I think it's ancestral pain. I think it's ancestral trauma and pain. Um, and uh, I didn't notice it until after. I, after I had an experience and I told my husband, I don't think I love you. And I was having a conversation with a, an old friend, a dear friend. And she said, you know what, Amanda, she goes, you've never really been as into the people that you've dated. They've always been more into you. And that was sort of the first little inkling. I was like, she's right. Like I thought about my past relationships Mm -hmm. and I said, you know, so-and-so always cared so much more about me than I did about them. And then I was able to, you know, go through all this counseling and meditation and writing and just getting really, truly honest with myself and say, you know what? Yes, I've never allowed myself to have a true partnership with another human being because I'm afraid of loss. Mm-hmm. So what was actually going on was with my, me and my husband was he's a 9-11 first responder. He retired from the FDNY after 25 years of service and he has chronic respiratory disease. Um, he has PTSD, which he's done a lot of different types of therapy around. And it's really miraculous. He's, he's healed. It's kind of, kind of crazy. I talk about how that happened in my book too, but he's 12 years older than me. So there's a lot of these different factors. When Jeremy died, that's my brother. When Jeremy died, I I, consciously, I said, Jim, that's my husband. He's next. Next, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I understand that. Yeah. So unconsciously I started grieving him and my marriage and everything around that. And it was just so painful. So to answer your question, I mean, where this all started, I mean, I think it was, I was born with it. I think it's in my DNA. I think it's a cellular thing that we carry on from one generation to the next. And that's why it's so difficult and painful to break because we're literally shifting the DNA inside. We are changing on a cellular level and it's not an easy thing. And it's, mirroring what's going on inside me and a lot of us personally is mirroring what's going on out out there we're going through major shifts in society right things are unacceptable mm-hmm. we're making ma- big changes so i think it started i think that this was in me i'm also a uh, recovered alcoholic and i think that pain was until i th- was 13 years old and i found alcohol to relieve that pain a little bit i think the pain was there from the beginning i also went through some sexual trauma when i was young when i was about 5 years old and and 7 years old and it i think that that compounded 
this myth that I was kind of indirectly, like I was given indirect messages from family members to, you know, protect my heart and all that. And then it was, and then the traumas compounded that. I was like, you know what? They're right. They're right. And then when Jeremy died, it was like, yeah, they're really right. It made it true. It made it completely true. I, I always feel, and it's it's kind of an idea that I haven't really explored extensively, but I believe that the thoughts that we have and the imaginations that we have and the fears, let's even just use fear alone. The fears we have is uh, they causes our mind to look for physical evidence that that fear is real. Yes. And so mm-hmm. even when you might be surrounded by evidence of the contrary, I mean, we're surrounded by evidence of everything, good and bad. And if your mind searches for a, a way to bring, I guess, to quell the dissonance within you, i.e. the fear you're experiencing on the inside is indicative of a real situation on the outside. You cannot have a fear for something and then the opposite happen, happening outside and be at peace. And so your brain is constantly looking for a way to bring everything full circle and say, hey, what you feel on the inside is exactly what's happening on the outside. And then you're looking for components and you're, you know, and, and it puts it all together and you're like, yep, see, that's mm-hmm. what happened. Making the story true, making the yes. story that we tell ourselves true. That's because it. it's in yep. our mind, it's what we think we feel at home with, with that fear, because we know it. You so know, therefore we, we can, we create it. We make the story true. You're, yes. I agree yes. 100%. Every time my husband gets sick, he gets the sniffles. And I'm like, oh, here we go. This is it. This is the end. You know, I get like, take it. I'm also, as being an alcoholic, I tend to be a little extreme. So in my thinking, <laughs> I can go from black and white, like zero to 60, like super quick. So, um, you know, the work that I've done taught me to reframe those messages that okay. are I was literally about to ask you what sort of strategies did you share in the book and has helped you so carry on please yes I reframe um situations where it's like okay no no he, he's just you know he was so Jim was sick um this was a brutal winter in Colorado brutal snowed a lot and I don't know if that uh, contributed to his illness but he was sick four times within six months each one lasting two to three weeks one of them a whole month so and then he gets put on prednisone and steroids and all that kind of stuff. So I was a little bit in it. I was a little like go in and out. I go in and out. I'd go into the fear and then I'd go into the faith. And then I go into the fear and go into and when I say faith, what I mean is not that he's gonna live forever or everything's gonna be great all the time. Because that's just not reality. That's just not life. Yeah. The faith is I'm going to be able to handle whatever is given to me. Whatever my soul path, I believe I've already chosen a soul path for certain lessons to learn. Ever that presents, I'm going to be able to show up to those things confidently, intelligently, emotionally sound, mentally sound, that I'm going to be able to carry on through all of those, whatever situations, whether it's with my husband or other things that come up in life, because life, life is life, right? We have the good times, we have the bad times, we have the joy, we have the pain, we have all that kind of stuff. So, you know, the all in is not necessarily just all in with others. It's all in with yourself. Well, yeah. Okay. Got you. So once I, you know, I'm thinking of this, uh, I'm not religious. I'm more spiritual. I take a little from here, a little from there. I call it like I knit this like spiritual tapestry and I take what I need and I leave the rest from different, you know, religions and ideas. And, uh, What's coming to me is Moses scripture. He said, you know, um, the God said, I am who I am. 
where Jesus said, I am who I am, whatever it was. I don't know very well, but that was a big defining moment for me when I was able to internalize what that meant. It means that I belong in this big universe that's going on out there. I have a place. I am important. I have value just from existing. Yeah. And, in, and in that, I find emotional security. So my fear is, is this getting too close, this emotional intimacy, and I can replace that with emotional security by trusting that I am not just valuable or good enough, but this unconditional self-love that I'm going to show up for myself always. I'm not going to self-abandon. And, you know, to add in one little piece on so a 12-step recovery program that I'm part of, they talk a lot about emotional abandonment. And so I had some of that experience throughout my life too. So I began to abandon myself. Yeah. I've learned through this process of, um, like I said, the meditation, the healing, the different, uh, the self, having the self-compassion for things and trying to practice being emotionally selfless and, and um, you know, forgiveness is huge. Acceptance is huge. Trust, you know, trust. It's all about trusting that I'm not going to self-abandon when the going gets rough. I'm going to show up. And my therapist has said to me, you know what, Amanda? I, I know, you know, you're going to be okay because look at your track record. You have a 100% success rate of being okay. And good way of looking at it, that's true. And if I could say, it's not just okay, I'm always better, right? Like you started talking about earlier, the strife, the adversity, the pain gives me an opportunity to not just be resilient or, you know, rebuild, recreate myself. I've hit the floor three times in recovery, in pain, emotional breakdowns. I talk about them all in the book. And every single time I've gotten back up, I've been better. I've been wiser. I've been stronger. I've been more faithful. I've, you know, so I almost welcome the pain. I have a chapter called Embrace the Pain. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to show people that this stuff, it's there to serve you. It's how you use it. Mm -hmm. An opportunity. Yeah, yeah, totally. Talking about opportunity, I heard, I don't know how true it is, but I heard this uh, apparently in the Chinese culture or one of the Chinese languages, they don't have a word for failure and the mm. word for failure instead is opportunity so when a man's house burns down he says hey it's an opportunity for a new house when someone loses their job they go hey it's an opportunity for a new job and so they tend to see um uh op see opportunity in failure as opposed to seeing the failure as coming to destroy them or to hurt them I yes, love and we hold that we hold on so tightly to things, whatever that thing is. So I talk about the Buddhist principle of impermanence, right? Accepting that all things are eventually going to fall away. And we hold on so tight because of the fear of loss. Yeah. So, yeah. So what my book actually does is teach people to move forward, not, not even without the fear, within the fear. I don't believe in fearlessness. You know, I, I'm sure there are people out there who have mastered that. I personally haven't. I don't so even know if that's possible because I um, don't think so, right? The that we were born with, you know, that yeah. we are, you know, we're created to experience a full range of emotions. So mm -hmm. it's there to, again, to serve us. It's like, okay, that fear is an indicator. It's an indicator that something has to be done or not done just like anxiety, just like all this stuff that we just naturally have. Some of us more, some of us less That's as not, we evolve. 
Yeah. Like that. Well, and it kept us alive, you know, when we first started as a species, right? Fear Mm -hmm. was instinct. It kept us from uh, the lion coming or whatever, the predator that was going to come eat us. There was a reason for it. And I, you know, I've talked and listened to a lot of people talk about how our physical DNA hasn't shifted that much in all the years that humans have existed, but our minds, our brains, everything else has, but yet we have some of these old, this old wiring Yes. That functioned and served a great purpose then, but now doesn't. And we don't realize and we get this anxiety and it's like, it's the same thing of like, oh gosh, I'm not going to be accepted in this environment. Like as it was, oh no, this lion might eat me for dinner. You're absolutely absolutely right. I did a series on fear on the Living Inside Out podcast where I had taken, I want to say it actually happened in Colorado. I might be wrong. I read a story about a woman who was in, she'd gone into, she was a, a researcher and she was in the woods somewhere, some forest somewhere, and she came face to face with a cougar. And, mm. and it, it then details her reaction. It was on the fight or flight or freeze uh, a reaction, but it details exactly what happened, what was going on chemically in her brain explaining what happens when we're afraid and the reason why I read it was because I was clearly going through a fearful season at that time my episodes tend to reflect a lot of times where I'm at and I I was trying hard to understand and analyze fear so that I could as much as possible disarm it and not be not be saddled under it like I felt so I thought, let's look at how, what we, you know, I believe that there are, we, we're made up of spirit, soul, and body, and your body is really just an expression of what's going on within. So mm-hmm. let's see what happens to fear with the body and see how, how, how it plays out in the mind. And it really was quite an interesting one. And just, you know, the fight, the reason why the potential prey, which will be the woman and the cougar would freeze where you 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 have the different stages it was the first one isn't actually flight or fight it's freeze and freezing is what happens to make sure that the scenario we're in i.e yes i'm in danger but i'm not yet dead does not change to me becoming dead so the lion or the cougar freezes because it doesn't want the prey to escape to be startled and escape and the human freezes because she doesn't want to cause the lion to move and come. So it's a way of trying to, to control and preserve the relative safe situation that they're in. And then the spell breaks at some point and then the flight happens. And, and if the person, if the lion or whatever the animal catches the woman and gets a hold of her, which in this case happened, then the fight at some point happens as well. And there was one more. I can't remember what the fourth one was, but it was so interesting. I'm going to send you guys the article. Please yeah, do. Please. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. So, Ginny, how, what's your take on fear? How do you deal with fear? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I, think, um, I think I'm learning lots of new tools um, to deal with fear. I, too, I have six years of sobriety. I am a recovering alcoholic as well. And I think that I, um, I think I've learned a whole new set of tools on dealing with fear, um, being somebody who really quite a bit, I used to escape from it, I think, or just distract myself from it. 
And obviously alcohol was one way, but I think even just that sense of chaos, you know, we can be just as addicted to chaos as we can to a substance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I, from a young age, even before alcohol ever set foot in my body, I found a way to keep myself distracted in chaos. Um, and my, you know, we had a little bit of chaos going on generationally in, in our house and both my parents went through quite a bit in their own life, you know, their childhoods as well. But I think that I used to definitely know how to distract myself from it. I think in recovery, there's an incredible set of tools, you know, in these 12 step programs that Amanda has mentioned, I'm familiar as well. And it gives you the opportunity to have a tool, you know, to realize like, okay, well, the fear is not going to, you know, take my breath. Like I'm not going to die from the fear, but really letting yourself start to understand that is like a whole other thing. And I catch myself even now, I have to really be aware of not jumping into chaos because it's my hard wiring to do so because I think it was my coping mechanism. I mean, in in the biggest way. So now I try really hard to let myself recognize the opportunity. Like you were talking about earlier, if I'm afraid of something, there's a reason. So I have to like slow myself down a little bit. And I mean, I explain these same things to my daughter, right? Like, are we, are we afraid right now? Because, you know, are we really in danger or are we, is it something that we're, you know, what is it that we're afraid of? So I think now I I'm able to take that opportunity to look at it and say, okay, well, what is this bringing up? Why are you afraid? And are you afraid of what's really happening right now? Or is this thing that you think you're afraid of actually stem back to that time you were seven or when your mom maybe wasn't able to come pick you up from school because she, you know, was like passed out (laughs) like those things. And for the first time, I think now I'm giving myself a real opportunity because the alcohol is not there right in the last few years, those things that used to kind of um, filter that out, I can stop and be like, oh, this isn't actually about that. I don't think I did great on this project. This is actually about that feeling of unsafety, you know, that I had way back when, or the fear of not being taken care of, or the fear of not being worthy, you know, and then I can look at it and approach it in a different way and say, wow, you're getting an opportunity right now to heal something old, you know, that this fear comes up now. And as Amanda spoken, as you've said too, I have such a strong belief that those of us that are here right now, waking up to some of these things. I do believe like Amanda mentioned too, that it's a cellular thing. I believe that we carry generational, you know, not just our own, but that we carry generational strife and struggle and unhealed wounds, but that those of us that are here right now, I genuinely believe we all, we all signed up, like Amanda said, to do this healing, not just for us right here, but that we have this opportunity to heal our lineage, you know, no matter where we come from, because we're all, you know, we're We've had people before us and there'll be people ahead of us that we are able to do some of this healing, you know, as we're choosing to do it now, we're healing. Uh, I've told Amanda, there's a shaman that I listen to. She's amazing from here in Colorado and something I'd never heard anyone talk about generational wounds and pain. And she was saying that anytime we take the opportunity to do the shadow work and heal the things we're most terrified of right now, when we choose to heal it. We don't just heal for us right now. We heal for seven generations behind us and seven generations ahead of us. That's interesting. Yeah. When we have the courage, you know, to just do that shadow work. So I am working really hard at looking at that fear as opportunity all the time because it comes up a hundred times a day. Right. 
yeah, choosing to just see it as opportunity. Like you talked about earlier, I would love to look up that in that, uh, that Chinese, 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 so cool. Whatever it is they say. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I I think sometimes for me, I, when I'm trying now not to have a knee jerk reaction to fear, because I find it's also learning to be constantly aware that my mind doesn't always know the difference between real and imagined fear. And so, because we respond the same way. The other day, I consciously imagined a very horrible situation. You know, I just kind of like the worst that could happen to me. And I felt my heart beat faster. And it was just an imagination. It wasn't real. I amazing. had that picture myself just to watch. And I could feel the way my heart skipped a beat should that mm-hmm. happen. But it made me think, um, wonder how many times I have avoided taking great opportunities because of an imagined fear. And that's huge. It made me wonder what what direction my life would have taken should I, if over the last however many years of my life, last few years, let's say, I was very aware that much of what I was afraid of was imagined. And I'm, I was responding to a picture that I painted myself, not one that was even real. Mm-hmm. And yes. I'm also trying to, I'm trying to deliberately keep my eye focused on the future that I believe God has for me and let my inspiration come from that future as opposed to it coming from my circumstances around me. And it's hard but I don't think it's impossible. I think it's something that we have to be intentional about every single day, you know, just literally being, being aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yes. We have to be conscious. We have to be very conscious of these thoughts that are, that just come in, right. Again, like without our consent. Right. Super powerful. Yeah. Yeah. And as you were speaking talks, I was thinking about like, I love that we're having these conversations that a lot of people around the world are waking up, like Ginny said, and having these conversations and seeking this healing and are becoming aware and trying to work through some of this stuff because, you know, not only are we, you know, charged with, you know, healing ourselves and our lineage, like I I said before, there's a reason why it's happening right now because the earth is in peril because there is a lot of scary stuff going on out there. So, uh, this is very purposeful. Like I'm just so grateful to be having these conversations and, and yeah, so much of it is in our heads. It's just conditioned. It's conditioned response from childhood. That's where I know mine comes from. Right. And I also think society as well. I'm very mindful about the news. I don't know about you guys, but I don't. Oh yeah. (laughs) And what the West news is like, but the UK, oh my goodness. It's like, it's got to be negative. You know. Oh, oh yeah! I don't we, even watch the news anymore. We got that down. The you U.S. has that. Oh, oh yeah, God. we got that we on lock. A, we <laughs> made an art form out of the most like horrific. Everything is. Yeah. Da, da, I'll take it. Yeah. Oh, it's not as bad. It's not it's, as bad. It's but it's a little better. Well, I mean, things are going on out there that need to shift and change, and you sure. know, stuff like that. Yeah. But yeah, they make it so much worse. It's all about money. We talk, Jenny I mean, and I talk about, about this a we lot. We talk about this a lot of it. It's all about money. money because we can keep people. You can really anyone who's afraid at any time. When we're in that state of fight or flight, we're very malleable. We're very controllable. Right, right, right. <laughs> always. And when you have, which is amazing, right? If you think about that, like you just said, that thought, just the thought 
of what your own body responded to. That's mm-hmm. such a power in thought. So yeah. if our thoughts mm-hmm. can kind of be manipulated or swayed mm-hmm. in a way, and you take one person, so that's you and the power of that thought caused your physical heart to change its beat. Can you imagine yes. what kind of power you have over a group of people, mm-hmm. a mass of mm-hmm. people? And you then what it does to your body. And then, it, and then we internalize it. Like you, like you said, doc, like the body, mind, spirit, soul, that whole thing, right? Like when we're in that fear, like Jimmy's talking about the stress and the cortisol and all that kind of stuff that, that kicks in, it can make us depressed. It can make us then seek the thing, the shoes, the drugs, the gambling, the whatever Whatever's going to fill the void. Whatever's going to make us feel, yes. Mm-hmm. And make us feel better. I'm reading a book right now. It's called uh dopamine nation. And it's all about how we're addicted to this dopamine. And, you know, I'd like to bring to everybody listening to everybody's consciousness that a lot of this stuff that you're fearful of, that you, it's, it's, it's very purposeful. There is something going there. It's very purposeful to put us in these positions to then need to seek these things mm-hmm. to make us feel better. Absolutely. I Meanwhile, think- we have it inside of us, what's what each of us, and it's different for everyone, whatever our thing is, but we actually have it inside of us. And I think the three of us sitting here today, right. And in across, like there's a giant ocean between us. We're yeah, all sitting yeah. here with very similar, very similar, very similar yeah. thoughts, yeah. collective consciousness that's going on and talking about this and doing these shows and writing about it. And however we can speak it and get it out there and spread this message. It's just, it's making a big difference. That's the purpose. That's what drove this. That's the purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also because I think that these kinds of conversations can actually only be heard by people or can be made or held by people who have turned the noise of the world down. Because mm. you cannot keep on hearing all of the negativity, like you were saying about the news. Duh, duh, duh. I mean, <laughs> I watch in, my husband watches TV. I avoid it. I watch Netflix because I can pick and choose what I want to watch. Right. But- regular television the news is an absolute no-no for me because it's it's so negative and and it just had on the bbc breaking news joe biden trips and falls and it was on the ticket <laughs> tape and we, we were like but well, people fall all the time yeah you know? like, <laughs> who cares like, what is this can't we fill this slot with something a little bit more meaningful yeah, yeah. Well, and it is it's the banner it's all breaking news yeah da, da, da. <laughs> everybody get, get scared <laughs> everyone i know are you scared yet let's put it on the red banner <laughs> exactly. let's not forget that the bbc is also red you know what it just occurred to me most news stations have red as part of their their, CNN. their yeah yes, news. red foxes and red is fox too or does fox have blue CNN is blue and Fox is red. And I think it speaks to the people who watch those. Red is the Republican color. Oh, really? Again, look at all that programming. There we go. It's like everywhere. Very insidious. I was thinking it was, it had to do with red being danger because the US is also red. Okay, ITV isn't, but the BBC is red. So it might, who knows? You never know. But you know, it's funny how um, I remember reading Darren Hardy. So Darren Hardy used to be the editor of Success Magazine years ago, and he wrote a book, a really good book called The Compound Effect. And in there, he he says, he talked about how when you're on the motorway, you know, the interstate, and you're, you're driving, and there's traffic, there's a buildup of traffic, and the cars are moving ever so slowly, and then finally you realize that there was an accident further down. 
but guess what has happened? The accident has been cleared to the side of the road. It's it's on the hard mm-hmm. shoulder. It's no longer on the road. I'm doing that way because, you know, we drive on the other side of the road. Uh-huh. The- that's right. Yeah. You're like, no, that's the middle lane. No, oh, mom, that's why there was an accident, Tooks. <laughs> on the wrong side. <laughs> exactly. And and um and then you get there and find actually the roads were clear. You know, you get there and, and it's nothing in front of anyone. But what was happening was people were slowing down to look to see what was on the other side. But then when there is a nice, beautiful sunset, no one slows down to look at it. And the whole reason is because we're wired. You were talking about the primitive brain earlier on and earlier, you know, running from wild animals and so on. We're wired to look out for danger as a protective mechanism. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I believe that the news companies, the media houses know this, obviously. Oh, yes. They've tapped into it. Yeah, yes. they tapped into it. And so we're actually primitively looking out for danger for ourselves. And that's why they can report an, a piece of news about a plane crash 25,000 times. And we will sit there and watch it watch every times. single time. Yeah. As yeah. though it's going to change. Like nothing yeah. changed. They would read it for five minutes. They'll go to commercial or break. Then they'll come back and they'll do it again. And everyone is like, have you seen that? Wow, look at the way that fell and look at the way that mm-hmm. happened. And so we have to be, <laughs> very intentional and responsible about our lives and so like Amanda's book says all in not for not just for others but for you part Mm -hmm. of all in what that says to me is is that I've got a I'm responsible for my life yes I'm responsible and part of loving myself is loving my environment making sure that the environment I'm in is safe for me to thrive in and Mm -hmm. not just you know, allow anyone or any information or anything to to spill into my space because we absorb it whether we like it or not. Right. The interesting thing about that shift real quick is I wonder if we're living in a time right now where we're ready and able to shift away from that primitive brain of danger, danger, because it doesn't really exist as much anymore. We are not fighting off the buffalo. Jeannie and I talk about this in our very first podcast episode. (laughs) What do we name him? Bob? Bob, yeah. Bob the Buffalo. Oh, no, no, no. Bob was Oh, no. The guy. Bob is the guy. Yes. The Bob is going to be eaten by the Buffalo. So, yes. So that danger does not exist the way it did then. So maybe we're going through biologically, physiologically, a shift. And how that shift happened is by doing this work of the healing that changes the feelings of safety, right? So the, the subtitle of my book, and I'm sorry, I keep talking about it, is safe safe to love and let go. So it's about feeling safe so Mm -hmm. that we don't have to respond in these, the ways that you're talking about talks with that book. Yeah. Like just to feel I'm, I'm okay. It's okay. We are okay. Everyone's okay. And the thing is, I, Amanda, you asked that question. If now is the time I I believe 100% wholeheartedly, it is the time. I think that that's Mm. exactly why these things are happening. I think that there's an evolution inside of us, all of us, the human spirit that's connected because whether we want to acknowledge, again, we have that false idea that we're all separate by, by all these things, by what we believe politically, by what our religion is, by what our sexual orientation is. We're all separate because that mm-hmm. also helps you to be more protective of this is my thing. Don't take it Bye. away. You know, this is um, again, in that fear place. And I think that as a whole, as a collective, like the human soul is working towards evolving. I think we are trying to get 
past a point where we're like, okay, these tools, like I said, our DNA hasn't shifted much. So we're working with tools that were very useful, however, 10,000 mm-hmm. years ago or whatever. They're mm-hmm. not so much now. The only way they're useful now is for other people to use them against us yeah, <laughs> to make money, to make yeah. money. Yes. Yeah. And if they can divide us using that fear, using that, right? A divided house yeah. cannot stand. Yeah, absolutely. We saw yeah. that in the UK during the Brexit um, uh, mm. season when the, the UK was voting to leave or, or remain in Euro- in the EU and the opposition party was just literally running with that you know you leave Europe you you, if you stay um, all the immigrants are going to take your job and this is going to happen and that's going to happen tell the full truth because now it's affected small businesses so badly Mm. but they did not say that part you see they focused on what they knew people will handle will hold on to which was fear Mm -hmm. the trigger overrun yeah exactly and that's 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 what they did but yeah, but no, these conversations, I'm so glad that your podcast, and I'm, I'm going to put the link to the podcast in the show notes so everyone can go and have a listen. There was something you said on, on your podcast, it was I picked it up from the Instagram that says, don't waste the pain, use it to make you better, make the world better. Can you speak on that? Uh, maybe Jane, well, both of you actually, we'll start with Jenny. I think it was Amanda, right? You or was it a man? I don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. It's on your podcast uh, Instagram handle. Oh, I'm yeah. the one that I'm the one that makes those. But yes, it, well, that was that was pulled. I pulled quotes from the through, book, right? Pro, no, that's that was from our podcast. Right. That but was, was it? From, you, did you refer to it in the book anywhere? Um, yeah, I get the idea, not the actual "Don't waste the pain," because yeah. that's actually I learned as a title of another book. A friend of mine said that to me a long time ago. She said, don't waste the pain. And so I originally had it in the book and then I had to be very intentional about what is original and copyright, all that kind of stuff. So I took it out, but the concept is, is in there. The idea is in there. And yeah, so it's about how exactly how you use the pain, how you use that fear. How's it going to motivate you? I had a friend also after my brother died and I said, I'm really afraid that I'm, I'm never going to be the same or I'm never going to be good or I'm never going to be creative or I'm never going to, you know, get back on my feet. And she said, well, it's up to you to decide, is it going to bring you down or is it going to make you better? Right. So like different things that people said to me, just that's sort of where that idea came from, that the pain's going to be there no matter what people like we're, we're all going to feel it. Like we talk about also in one of our shows, like you can't outrun the pain, like it's mm-hmm. your shadow or this, this healing that you're being called to do. So use it to serve you and use it to serve the world. I absolutely agree. I, I've been trying, well, I started a series on, I don't, I, I didn't name the series itself, but it was about growing through pain mm-hmm. because I found the last half of 2022 to be quite challenging for me. And I spent maybe the first three months of the challenge waiting for the pain to be over. Mm. I spent the next three months coming to terms with it probably is always going to be there and therefore accept it but don't don't see it as something you should try and get rid of and so now the season I'm in is learning that pain actually squeezes creativity out of us oh yeah and we all creative and we produce more we produce good stuff when we're in pain I've been using the analogy of a seed in the ground. In my church, we were talking about uh, seeds and, and all of that. And 
and it, it actually and it's so funny that I've got an old journal it's, it's not within reach but I have an old journal from last year which sometimes when I'm going through a rough patch I would just grab any of my journals I journal almost every day so I have a whole stack of them I would grab an old one and might open randomly and this is where I'm so thankful that I usually only write positive things in there because it then comes to speak speak back to me when I'm going through a rough patch amazing randomly and I could see I was writing all about seeds (laughs) and now Mm -hmm. in my church we're talking all about seeds and the whole Mm -hmm. idea is remembering that when a seed is planted when a seed is planted in the ground so at the time I was saying that in an orange seed is everything that's required for it to become a tree so when you're holding an orange seed you're actually holding a tree Mm. the only thing is it now needs to be planted in the ground and watered and nurtured and then it grows but even for it to grow the most painful thing happens which is the skin has to get ruptured and Mm. I talked about spirit soul and body this the body is the outer part of us the soul is the container for the mind which comes in next and your spirit is the is the part of you that's actually alive and that's the part that's connected to God so that even when people die, their spirits continue to live on. And the mm-hmm. reason why we have a body is because your spirit needs a place to stay in while it's on earth, because the body has to interact with, it's the body that interacts with the physical world. And so thinking about that and, and comparing it to a seed, and I thought, hey, interesting, the seed has a skin and that's like our body, but you see the skin has to be ruptured and destroyed for the goodness to come out and for it to grow and become a tree and then I went on I sometimes go down the rabbit hole myself and I went on and went to uh, uh, one of the children's science websites to learn about the different parts of a tree the endosperm and the core of it and what comes first and how it grows and I started to form a theory in my head which I'm not even going to bother going into today but I'm going to put it on why I want to know the theory because <laughs> <laughs> well, I yes. love it <laughs> well it, it's re- the the endosperm is the covering it's the part that's right after the the, the skin it's the f- next part that you meet and that actually contains all of the nutrition and water which is why seeds never die so you can have hmm. a seed that's completely dry and just sitting on the shelf for for years even it continues to re- remain alive even though it's not growing it continues to remain viable I guess is the word because it has a source of nutrition isn't that crazy that's crazy. Yes. And nature I is know. just, I just blows my mind. And all of our answers are in nature, just like you're talking about. Absolutely. That's and amazing. That's now I want to know. Yeah, no, it's what, it's definitely worth, worth checking out and just reading on it. And even just reading up on, on the concept of seeds and, and seeing what comes to you, you know, what, seeing what you get out of it, because you might get a different understanding from what I'm getting. And so I thought, it's interesting that the core of the seed is the actual part that grows. The second layer of the seed is the part that nourishes the core. And the skin wow. is the part that protects everything. And so on the one hand, I was looking at skin in terms of our physical body that protects our insides. But on the other hand, I was also looking at skin in terms of self. So when I think about 
some of the challenge, well, some of the goals I've had and I haven't achieved them or the opportunities I've had and I hadn't taken them, I can see some situations where it was me not letting my skin rupture. For example, when I wanted to start my podcast, I dilly-dallied for months. And one of the things was, it was self-consciousness, you know? I kept thinking, people are going to say, who does she think she is? What has she got to say? And that's me responding to those thoughts was me stopping the skin from rupturing because it's all about my external and how people perceive me. And that's what I was trying to protect. But, But you've got to be prepared to allow the pain of rupturing Allow the pain of betrayal if betrayal comes with love. Allow the pain of uh, fear, of disappointment, of loss. All of those pains are external. They're they're not external, they're internal, but we're trying to keep ourselves safe and we don't Mm -hmm. want want it to come. And so we keep ourselves safe and we we protect the skin. But if you're going to grow, you've got to let go and let the chips fall where they may but you will grow and it might be painful, but you will grow. And that speaks to the trusting yourself of that. You're going to be okay, that you can handle whatever is going to come up. Once you do allow yourself to break through that skin. Exactly. My son says, my oldest son said something when he was young. I mean, he must've been about 10 or nine at the time. And he says, mommy, God wouldn't put us on earth if, if we couldn't handle being on earth. And mm. I and there's also a scripture that says where in the beginning of the Genesis, it says that God prepared a garden for the man to live in. So God actually made the garden of Eden for man to live in. And he made it beautiful and filled it with trees and water and everything and made it just perfect for him. So something you mentioned, Amanda, when you were talking about, you, you said when you said that I am that I am, that you believe that the world is okay for you or something like that. Like, like you can, you, it's okay. It's for you to exist in the world. And that's, that's something that I'm definitely taking away. And I'm going to think about a bit more. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah this is a great conversation. You're, it's you're awesome. Good, I know. I love like, you. Hey, you are amazing. We should talk all day. <laughs> we, should, that we have zoom. So we have no excuse. We definitely should. I love yes. it. Oh, yes. Well, once we get set up, if you would uh, do us the pleasure of being on our show, we have yes. not had guests yet because I just one thing at a time, I'm a little right. overwhelmed with all the technology and everything. But once we get, it seems simple enough. Once we get it figured awesome. out, we'd love to have you. That will be awesome. I'd be honored. Thank you so yes. much. But before we go, I want to pull out some crazy facts about Jimmy. Please start talking. We need we need yes. all details about this girl band situation. <laughs> we want to hear all about it. I want to hear about Hollywood as well. Yes. Oh my goodness. Let's see. I was 19. So I was, you know, growing up in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I am a singer as well and have always written, never trained, you know, anything like that. Just um, always been an outlet for me. And yeah, I was 19 and I had actually auditioned to play. It all kind of started here in Albuquerque. I had auditioned for the first company outside of the Broadway company of the show Rent. Um, Yeah. So uh, it, Jonathan Larson had already passed away, right? He's the one who wrote and did the show. And one of my good friends happened to know his family. His family lived in Albuquerque, which was insane. The mm-hmm. odds of that. Yeah. And she got permission to do a concert rendition of Rent in Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
crazy because it was the first company. Yeah. First company outside of that original Broadway um, group. I auditioned. I was like 18 at the time, 19. I got the part of Mimi. I played Mimi in Rent in that uh, rendition, content rendition of it. And that was amazing. Well, you know, it was a great experience, but from that I was able to get an agent and I ended up moving to Los Angeles initially kind of chasing the acting side of things. I think more than like the music. Yeah. But I was working at a talent agency. Um, I lived with seven people in a two bedroom apartment. I left with like, yeah. And I was like, Hey, you guys are going to college. Cool. I'm leaving to go live with a bunch of people in Hollywood, California. So, but I was able to audition and do all these amazing things in the midst of that. I had started a small theater production company with three other amazing women from all over. And we got to write and do, we did a small production, a theatrical production, and we were being creative and doing all those things. I ended up, I was bartending there and doing all the things and being that age, turning 21, literally like, you know, living on Sunset Boulevard. I lived, and I, when people hear Hollywood, they're like, ooh, glitz and glam. I lived in the hood. Like Hollywood <laughs> is not, Hollywood, Hollywood is is the hood. Like it, it was very, yeah, like people are always like, wow, Hollywood. Well, oh no, you don't know. <laughs> it's crazy. Like, yeah. But I just decided, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And I look back at that period of time. It's incredible because first off, it's incredible. I survived <laughs> being that age. And in that scene, the amount of alcohol and drugs around, it's so normalized. It's such a part of everything. And I definitely, you know, I turned 21 there. So it was like, I was drinking. I had a good drinking time going on. I was also surrounded around some of the absolute most amazing musicians, people who have gone on to do like incredible things who were starting off early in their career there. And what an experience that was, you know, we used to go out and play, you know, music on the rooftop of our apartment building where you could see the Hollywood sign. And, you know, I got to play music with these amazing musicians. I eventually ended up auditioning for a a band uh, called LA Fault Line. And these guys were all older, but these incredible musicians that had all grown up in like Lincoln Heights and East LA and guys who grew up kind of hard, but had some of the, some of the most gifted people I've ever met in life. They were much older than me, but they, and they needed a singer. And it was one of those things where the place I bartended at was like, Hey, my friends got this band. They need a singer. Um, they did a lot of like old Latin jazz, Latin rock, they were very well known in that area and inspired a lot of people, but they would open up for bands like War and Tierra. And, you know, there were times where I think LA Fault Line had even opened up like before Carlos Santana in one of these music festivals. So I was really honored to be able to start playing with these guys. And it was the first time I had had the chance. I had never believed I could write. I didn't think I was a songwriter. I didn't even really think I was a singer because I wasn't trained, you know, and I, and I was around some of the best people like at that time. So to join this band with this guitar player who had, you know, grown up there in East LA was like, Hey, you write a lot of poetry. I've always written poetry since I was young. Um, I just didn't believe that I could write songs. And he's like, no, you can write songs. You know, he said, I want to hear, like, you've got a lot to say and you can hear melodies. So let's do this, you know? And he grabbed his guitar and he would say, okay, where do you, where do you hear me going? You know? And I would say, okay, do that two more times. All right. You know, and here's lyrics to this. Interesting. Um, yeah. And we wrote a bunch of music together. Um, I had the opportunity of playing in some amazing places in Hollywood and in Los Angeles. And obviously during that time, I also probably did a lot of drinking and did definitely did a lot of drugs. <laughs> Just like I said, there were different things around. Yeah. But it was at a young age. I, I wouldn't, I look back at it and it's like, I wouldn't 
take any of it back. I'm grateful for the amount of survival, clearly that I survived a lot of it, but I also look back at it and this thing you're talking about, the skin breaking, I can think back to that period of time, the amount of growth. Yes. A lot of heartache and a lot of even, you know, probably not treating my body the best that it could. I also had some of the absolute most intensely creative, explosive times in my life. Like I, and looking back at what I got to experience during that time, just insane. You know, we played at the uh, old town Pasadena, right. And turned out we were playing in this little pub and there were people from the band Oingo Boingo there. And those guys wanted to play. Like I got to get up and like jam with those guys. It's insane. It's insane. At age as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just absolutely incredible. Um, Got to meet lots of people like got to see, you know, you have these random stories of like running into celebrities and people be like, Oh really? Like, did you ever meet any celebrities? I was a bartender at the Omni hotel in downtown LA. So we were right across the street from Staples, like near Staples center, near the performance. So we always, we, I met people all the time, you know, they'd be like, no way. How is this person? I was at, so this period of time, I just recently have started reflecting back on it as it was an insane level of freedom, maybe even dangerously amounts of freedom. Right. But I'm looking at it now, 25 years later, because again, well, the, my friend who passed away, his name was Julian Martinez. He was my guitar player. He's the one I was talking about. That was like, Hey, you got this, you know, like you can, you can write music. One of the most gifted musicians I've ever known in life, but someone who I believe, as you've talked about, probably held himself back unintentionally. This guy probably should have had a hundred Grammy awards and famous a million times over, but struggled like many of us do, right? We get in our own way about what we're capable of. And I feel like he was one of those people. He's so insanely talented, but he passed away on April 13th and it was unexpected. And, you know, he was only in his very early sixties. So I've gotten to reflect on a lot of this, like here, as I got to go back to that same street where we would rehearse Avenue 18, you know, you could see downtown LA and to be there now and like sober, you know, and to be there and have these thoughts of those times and to be able to hear the impact this person even still had on so many people. There were people there that were talking about just how he affected their entire musical journeys, you know, and there's people who, I don't know, just an an amazing, amazing thing for me to get to reflect back on. But yes, I got to do music at that same time. I think one of the strange facts I had talked about was almost making the girl band. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah, I don't even know. Amanda, did you know that? What you said is amazing. That's just, wow. So I was about 20. And at this time we would, I'd get called out on auditions and they're like forming girl band. This is okay. Picture it. It's like 99, 1999. So it's like, you've got probably Spice Girls over here and you've got like all these. So people were trying to manufacture like bands, you know? So my agent sent me on this and um, I was all pumped up. I'm like, yes, yes. Here's my chance. Like, this is going to be, I'm finally going to break through. (laughs) And I go and I audition and they're like, all right. So can you, I'm singing some cheesy song, you know, like, I don't know. And my heart breaks and you, (laughs) you know, whatever. One of those, I get through like three or four callbacks. I keep getting called back. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to be in this band. So pumped. And then they get to the point where we're doing dance auditions. (laughs) I'm not a I can dance like I can move but I'm not a dancer you know like like Britney like (laughs) like that yes so when I went to that audition um yeah I made it to literally I was down to like the I was like four callbacks in 
and they were down to the final selection <laughs> and I bombed the dance audition. I, because I was thinking, I'm like, I'm good. What are they going to do? Are oh, they really going to have us do that? And they're in, they're like, and then we twist and turn and then. <laughs> and I didn't make the band. However, I made it all that way. And then my dancing. You went far. And if you, um, had, if you had known about the dancing and had some practice, hey, we wouldn't even be talking to you right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm well, glad. I'm you know very what? glad. You, you know what else? I might have made the girl band. I might have done a million eight balls. And I might have kicked <laughs> out of his life way earlier than I should have. So good news. Woo, woo. I did not the girl band. All the way it's supposed to be, right? Exactly. 100%. Yeah, Amanda, I didn't think you knew that story. Now you know. No, no. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so glad. I keep learning more and more about you, Jenny. I love it. Yeah, there's a lot there. All's well that ends well. You've got this amazing life in Colorado. You're painting furniture. I mean, who wouldn't want that? What's hey. a girlfriend? <laughs> That's right. What's a girl? I do a lot of dance moves in the garage, so it's fine. <laughs> it works out. What the best of both and Amanda, there's this weird thing about the number 72 that seems to just oh. pop everywhere. What's that about? Yeah, I don't It's I was driving in high school. My license plate was R72. And I, I remember I was just I was just driving around. And then, you know, I was in my using days. So I probably, you know, smoked a little reefer or whatever. And I was getting, you know, deep and whatever. And I just I was like, oh, my gosh, 72 is also in my zip code. Oh my gosh, it's also in my grandmother's address. Oh my gosh, it's also my social security number. Oh my gosh, it's also, it just was like everywhere. And it still seems to be everywhere. Even when I left my, my, my corporate job in Manhattan, I worked after college for six years for a real estate and marketing and sales firm. And I left that to go back to social work school. And I began waitressing again. And the woman who was training me, her sign-in number was 72. You know, just like little things like that just constantly pop up for me. So there's something about that number 72. I'm not really sure. I do feel like it holds something else bigger. Maybe when I'm 72, something will happen or who knows. But uh, my grandmother passed, one of my grandmas passed away in 1972. Um, Just a lot around that number. It's almost... I was going to say to you, well, maybe you should check out 1972 and see what happened in that year. And then you said your grandmother even passed away. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sure there's other, many other things. 1972 was probably a very interesting year. So yeah, it's just crazy. Listen, we could go on and on and on. We could. But we're not going. We really could. We could. I may end up making this a two-part, (laughs) two-part It might end up being a two-part podcast, but we'll see how it goes. But we definitely would need to do this again another time because the rate at which the world is changing, there's so many things we can talk about. Mm -hmm. AI and being authentic and how, I mean, there's just so much that's going on. So I would love to have you guys back on again in the future. But in the meantime, can you tell us where we can find you? And also if you have any, any gifts, any freebies for the Leave It Inside Out crew. Sure. If you visit my uh, website, amandamccoyflanagan.com. So it's Amanda and then McCoy is with a K, M-C-K-O-Y and uh, Flanagan. It's just, just Google it and sure you'll find me. And I'm sure my, my name will be on, on talks information. Uh, on there, you can uh, put your email address into my website and you can get your free guide, the five principles to be all in. So there's five little ideas and principles and, and stuff that could help you get started on your path to being all in with yourself. Um, and then my Instagram is at Amanda McCoy Flanagan. 
Oh no. Is that the, is that my landscapers? I don't know. It is loud. <laughs> we don't mind loud. Let me like, I can mute. We have no issues with them. <laughs> okay. It's all good. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on Instagram. Amanda McCoy Flanagan. Okay. Thank you. And Ginny, are you on Instagram as well? I am. You can find me at the Flippin' Phoenix. Well, my website is the Flippin' Phoenix Furniture Rehab.com. Um, on Instagram, it's the Flippin' Phoenix. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what the handle is. I'm like, that's really bad. But on well, Facebook as well. The it's Flippin probably Phoenix. in the show notes. So <laughs> yes, really. Flippin' Phoenix Furniture Rehab. And oh. our podcast, guys. Check out our podcast. I think you're going to yes. love it. If we you like Tops to material, you. I think you're going to like, you like what we have to say. That's oh, okay. at Soul Rising Podcast on Instagram. Soul Rising and it's S-O-L. So, mm-hmm. but it, it links in the show note. But you guys, thank you so very much. Thank for you. Me. Absolutely beautiful. I have enjoyed every moment chatting with you and just getting to know you better. So thank you. Thank you been... so much for having us. It has been a huge honor and we are so grateful to connect with you and we cannot wait to connect with you again. Yes, it's been so lovely and to have this experience with you for our first podcast as guests. It's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Okay, you you too. too. Take care. Bye-bye.